Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Boomer, for helping me introduce the show there, buddy. And thanks for coming in and adjusting my mic for me this morning. Thank you, KZ550, for sounding off. So beautiful, so beautiful. Let's hear it. There you are. We'll hear that sound again someday. I'm in the process of like going through two KZ motors right now. Uh, trying... This won't do a wheelie. No, they won't wheelie, basically because uh, they're not running right now. I got some electrical gremlins... Uh, to work out and most of the connectors are falling apart um that's the challenge with having a vintage bike i got lucky when i got my yamaha because most everything is in really good shape and um basically i didn't really have to do much besides let me think of any connectors i replaced on that i did not really i didn't have to redo any of the connectors and for a bike that was wheelied and dropped and lit on fire and multiple other fucking things that is really held up and the connectors are uh three years older than the kawis that i have and uh look like they are five years old so these kawis the uh i'm assuming it's the manufacturer whoever whoever kawasaki used back in the 80s um these things are turning to dust and powder and these bikes sat outside i've always garaged my yamahas and um my honda sat outside for a little bit but not out in the elements um so these kawis before i got them had sat out in the elements and now that i'm working on them and whatnot it's uh not very good they're just disintegrating and turning into dust so i think i'm going to be doing a wiring harness and uh just making stuff from scratch so i might cut out some of the crap uh they're really fancy and i don't need fancy and so i might when i remake the harness i might make it much simpler to run on maybe give myself some more uh water or amperage to play with and all that so anyway to get into this episode uh we're gonna cover some news really quickly here in the beginning because we have uh, an important interview to get to and uh Probably not going to do much more goofing around in this episode. I did watch a really crappy biker movie, very recent, by the way, and um, not a 70s. I, I couldn't take any more of those. It's, you know, I I will go back to them, but I, just, I couldn't. I couldn't. So, But what's worse than watching a movie that at least had an excuse for being really crappy and shitty is watching a movie that has no excuse for being so crappy and shitty. And despite being produced much, you know, having way better production value and obviously a bigger budget, it, is, it was significantly <laughs> the same <laughs> as far as plot and uh, uh, just as hard to watch as those older movies. So I will tell you what that was at the end of the show. And let's get into some very, very rapid news. So not much news came out of Daytona last week. We, we covered that Danny Eslick did not race the Daytona 200, but we did not cover any of the flat track racing because technically it had not happened yet when our episode came out. So we'd like to congratulate Slammin' Sammy Halbert on a first and a third at the uh, flat track doubleheader that they had. And it was really cool seeing him race. They also had an unveiling for his brother Jethro. Uh, if you remember, Jethro was in an accident in 
September of 2014 at Calistoga, I believe, and he finally passed nearly a year later in uh, August of last year. So they had a, a really sweet memorial there for him, and Sammy has been rocking his number plate ever since, and now he's taken that number for this year. So it was really cool to see that. Uh, congratulations on your first. It's been a while since he's had a first, um, and Jake Johnson got first on Sunday. So Sammy pulled a first and a third. I'm really keeping my eye on him this season. And I think, you know, Brian Smith was favored last season and nothing came of it. But I think Halbert's got a chance. So we'll see. Um, another thing is Fans Choice. Fans Choice covers all the flat track. They cover more than that. They cover all of the AMA road racing, and they cover most of the American sports car stuff that you will not find on TV anymore. You might be able to get it on these deep sports packages. But anymore, you have to subscribe to Be In Sports to get MotoGP and... Um, uh, the World Superbike. So a fan's choice is a free live streaming uh, service that offers great commentary. And that's some changes that they've made this year. Scotty Dubler and seven-time uh, GN or Grand National Champion Chris Carr are doing all of the um, trackside announcing and everything this year. So they're really stepping up the production on it. And it's just, it's marvelous. You should check it out if you get the chance and stay abreast of all the racing. They stream it live and then you can go back and watch it on demand if you didn't have time to catch it at the time of the event. So um, the Isle of Man TT is coming up here pretty soon too. It starts May 28th with all the testing and, and practicing begins and all the tech and all that great stuff. And it ends on June 10th. And the Mugen Shinden is a bike that's popped up a couple times here in the news. And that's Honda's Skunk Work project. Honda didn't really want to throw its name on there because the world still hasn't embraced electric motorcycles and electric vehicles in general for whatever reason. So the Mugen Shinden Go is the fifth iteration of the Shinden. And Go is five in Japanese. So that's a little bit of word play on words there for them. And they're going for their hat trick this year, which is their... Third consecutive win with um, John McGinnis this year being offered if he can lose, I forget if it was 10 pounds or 10 kilograms. That's that's either 10 pounds or 22 pounds. So it's probably it was probably 22 pounds. Um, if he can lose 22 pounds, they're offering to give him a bike this year if he wins at the Isle of Man in the SES TT0. And basically, they're trying to go for the fastest uh, average lap time of 120. And last year, McGinnis hit a one. 19 I believe. So he's just less than three quarters of a mile an hour of hitting that, uh, breaking that record for electric bikes. And that's actually not too bad. I mean, 120 ish is right around the times that some of the 650 lightweight bikes are, are setting. So, you know, do not write electric bikes off as slow and novelty items. They are quick. Um, speaking of the Shinden, Another Honda that was making some news is the Africa Twin Sports Concept. And that bike looks tits LaRue. I just saw some pictures of it the, uh, yesterday. And um, I had read a small blurb about it on Asphalt and Rubber. And they are saying that, you know, the, if the Africa Twin is 
you know, basically the rival to the BMW R1200GS. Then the Twin Sport concept is their rival to the GSA, which is basically just the GS with all the options as standard and a brush guard. And you look at the um, African Twin Sport concept, and it really looks like it's more than a concept. It looks like it could be rolling off the factory as soon as they push the button. I mean, this bike looks ready to go. The pictures that I saw looked way more aggressive than the, the standard Africa Twin, but I've seen some other press pictures launched recently where it had, you know, street trim, very shitty looking street street tires on. I mean, they didn't look ADV capable at all, which is what this bike looks like it was made to do, you know, hoon a little bit. So stay tuned to see these two bikes possibly at the uh, Tokyo Motorcycle Show, which is happening this weekend. If you need another reason to go to the Tokyo Tokyo the Tokyo Motorcycle Show, uh, the Honda City Adventure concept is going to be there, and it is basically like an adventure touring scooter. It's got a, a much higher um, ride height than most standard scooters, and it's starting to look a little bit sportier. They don't they, they're straddle scooters. They're not really sit uh, step throughs like you know your traditional, even like your T Max and stuff like that, which were pretty sporty but still step throughs. This thing you actually ride it it's a little bit more uh than a like a bergman where you sit more on the seat like a motorcycle and even it even looks a lot more like a motorcycle than a bergman does so uh stay tuned for that they've also got the cb 1300 super bull d'or and the cb 400 super bull d'or abs um, editions and those basically look like your 80s sport bikes you know your bull d'or era naked uh, sport bikes only one is about a thousand cc less than the other so they they, they totally look awesome, though, and, you know, it's too bad stuff like that isn't popular over here in America. Another thing that was popular for about five seconds, and I'm so sad to see it go, but we haven't had it since 2014, is the CB1100. So at the Motor Show, they're, they're expecting to see the CB1100EX Special Edition, which is like a blacked-out version of the CB1100. And there's also a... Uh, CB1000 Special Edition, which basically still looks a lot of that retro-inspired styling of the CB1100, only it's in a 1000 body, and it's got like a little bit more of like a, it's got checkered flag on it, and it's red, white, and black, so I mean, it's super 50s uh, styling, super retro style, and it just looks super awesome. It doesn't have the uh, spoked wheels, it's actually got cast wheels, so I don't know if it's supposed to be a little bit sportier or not, but it definitely looks the part. Um, as I said, the CRF1000L Africa Twin Sports Concept is uh, going to be there, and this thing looks the part. I mean, I hope uh, the one they have there looks a little more, more sportier than their um, press kit picture for Ultimate Motorcycling, because that one actually looks tamer compared to the ones that I've seen online. And there's a lot more that it's going to be there, so... Uh, the Honda Grom got a little bit of restyling. They recently did that with the CB500X. They didn't do too much to it. You know, just a couple little cosmetic changes here and there. And they call it a new a new bike. But the Grom, it's looking a little more space age. So uh, check out the motorcycle show. We'll see what comes out of that. But that's always uh, interesting to check out every year and, and see what they project is going to be hot for. Actually, this is going to be most likely for 2017 bikes. Uh, another thing I wanted to cover, I haven't done gear in a 
quite a while. But uh, Roland Sands has got a shout out. He, he's released a whole bunch of stuff for the, uh, the spring catalog, I guess. One of the things that I've seen come up a bunch is this Honcho jacket. And I believe the reason is, is because it's totally hipster-tastic. It's... Uh, your basic denim vest, and as we all know, denim vest is in right now with like the chopper crowd, and the chopper crowd is what's in with the hipster crowd right now. So if you've got uh, your striped shirt and your sunnies and your your beard and a couple tats, you might want to show it off in this leather and this uh, denim vest. But you can also throw uh, some sleeves, leather sleeves, zip onto this baby, so it, it also has some protection to it, and it's basically trying to make street clothes look cool as we all know street clothes don't make the best riding clothes and vice versa you don't quite look as stylish in riding clothes you look like you're wearing uh i don't know a rain suit or a s- snow suit so uh that is one of the things that he's trying to work on here he's trying to give you the best of both worlds as you know there's going to be compromises either way but at least it's giving you some protection uh, another company that has caught my eye recently that has been making some really nice looking riding gear is ugly bros and ugly bros has been getting reviews left and right from a whole bunch of different publications and they've been out for a little while now but they are making some clothes that uh, you know they look like you could wear them out every day uh you could wear them around and nobody would know that they were you know motorcycle clothes with any sort of armor or made of you know any sort of protective uh materials and they're textile and they stretch and they you know they fit bitching and they look just good with street clothes and street shoes so um the ups is that they've got armor and they've got stretch denim fabric and you know they fit really really well the downs is that they are kind of expensive and there's no washing instructions which i know a lot of times you you either have to hand wash stuff or you can't dry it because it'll uh, wear down the materials that it's made of you know you can't uh, wash and dry kevlar in a dryer you know stuff like that so uh, whether or not it's got kevlar i'm not 100 percent sure but i have riding pants with kevlar in them and you definitely need some some care instructions so you don't ruin the materials and waste your money that you just spent on your uh, really expensive but good looking riding clothes um uh, speaking of the uh, the Africa Twin Sports concept. I know they don't race those at Dakar, but they kind of do like like they're a little bit uh, inspired by Dakar. Uh, Chile has opted out of the 2017 running of the Dakar. I believe this is the second year in a row they've done so. And the concern is over the environmental impact that racing has on the environment. And it's not just shooting through the dunes and tearing up some plants. It's like the, the um, you know... Uh, crashing and burning, you know, that could be one thing, but also the tearing up of the plants. I mean, you've got, you know, all these race cars just shooting through the environment and the tires tearing up uh, the flora and fauna, but you've also got the staging areas, the, the camps, support vehicles, support crews, news crews, helicopters, medical crews, feeding the people, riders meetings, safety and triage and medical areas. You know, there's a whole bunch of support and logistics that goes with that uh, event that also puts a little bit of stress on the environment. And if you've ever seen 
you know, the southern tip of Chile, where it's, it's near the, I believe the part that they raced through was uh, the Tierra del Fuego, which is the, you know, southern part where Chile and Argentina meet. And if you've ever seen that, it is it is pristine and it is beautiful. And I understand because I have some friends that live in Mexico, and they say that the Baja 1000 tears up the farmland around there, and that it used to be, you know, just really pristine ranchos. And now that there's it's a little bit tore up. There's roads going everywhere. And what you don't realize is that the Baja doesn't just happen like one weekend a year down there. You know, they don't just race a thousand miles and bail. There are pre-running support teams, track planning and all this stuff. So I kind of get where Chile is going with this. And I understand, uh, from a civilian point of view, why they don't want to get their, uh, beautiful country tore up. All right, that's going to do it for uh, highlights and news this week. Let's get into an interview. So a couple weeks ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a super creative individual named Mark Dugali. And uh, I met him a while back at the IMS show, uh, 2010, I think it was. But of course, he didn't remember me from then, who would? And uh, I've kind of done you know i took his business card and i've been perusing his website ever since and he lives right down the street from me so i figured why not go ahead and interview mark um and just find out what makes him tick now i we had a lot of time to sit down before the interview and after the interview and talk bikes and kind of open up and i mean it was kind of my first time meeting him and spending any uh you know serious amount of time with them in person. So, you know, not everything I could think of based off of what I knew came out in the interview. So we talked a lot more about bikes probably off off recording than we did uh, on. But he is just he's so crazy. And it made me think of uh, something about technology. And since I've been wanting to tech, talk about technology in the last uh, couple of episodes, and I'm going to be talking about it coming up here. I I thought about something that he said, and it really it really made me think about the way he approaches the things that he does. Um, now, technology is a great thing, and it helps us make things faster and stretch ideas further. But uh, you know, often it, let, it lets us do these things. You know, it increases efficiency, or, or either either time wise, or it lets us use less material, which is increases you know decreases waste. But sometimes it's a hindrance. And sometimes the production line slows down as people need to learn or relearn a new process or try to integrate some new process or technology into their current workload and, and functions. And so that in, in those ways, it can hinder us. And when you take an old master craftsperson and, and try to give them a new technique, sometimes the results are mixed. Unless it's something that augments their existing skill set, it's usually a setback. And when talking with Mark... Uh, I, I realized that he's a hands-on guy like me and uh, a lot of us that are creative are, you know, super hands-on and uh, just like making this show and just like learning how to use a new piece of recording equipment, reading about it and figuring out how to actually do it. You're What you're doing there is you're taking time away from what you're actually doing to learn something, you know, that may or may not help you in the end. And so... 
that keep that in mind as we're talking to Mark because he's he's just super creative. He's super hands on, and part of his whole uh, function and process. Once you see some of the stuff that this guy cranks out. It's just crazy to think of the fact that he does most of the stuff that he does the old school way and by hand, by touching, by doing, by manipulating and rearranging things that he interacts with, not via technology, um, maybe via a technological process, but not, you know, nothing is done usually on computer first. So having said that, let's uh, get into our interview with Mark right now all right we are here in uh i wish i wish you could see what i'm seeing <laughs> we're here with uh mark dugally dugallery.com so we are in uh what i'm going to call the artist layer and this is a magnificent space um visually it's uh it's basically as uh intriguing as uh, the motorcycles that I first saw from Mark uh, in 2010 at the IMS show. So right off the bat, before we get into all that, before we get into um, the stuff that you've done and everything, basically from like a 10,000 foot view, what do you do and you know who are you as a person, as your occupation? Uh, well, my occupation, I do uh, several things. I, I customize things, basically. I, I, do, I design custom homes, interior design, interior and architectural design. I do uh, tattoo work, and I do custom motorcycles, scooters, and some car stuff, but mostly two-wheeled stuff. Yes. And about how long have you been doing all this? Well, uh, the interior design and architecture is a uh, was a family trade that my father taught me, and I was started working for him when I was twelve. It was my first job with him, and um, I've always been doing art and design and everything. It's just in my blood. It's it's always been there. I I, I was you know playing with pencils when other kids were playing with toys when I was a kid and. <laughs> Um, nice. always been drawing and sculpting and doing all that kind of stuff and um, so forever yeah time in memoriam yes excellent so yeah I mean just looking around I know this is an audio podcast but just looking around I can tell that you have a hard time leaving stuff alone <laughs> and I can tell that you definitely are a customizer of all things yes <laughs> yes indeed I cannot leave anything alone and uh, everything that I get or find or do uh, gets customized in some way or another and it's kind of always been that way I guess <laughs> excellent what or at what point did you start getting involved with motorcycles specifically well I've always loved riding them uh, since I was 14 I started riding and um, I've always loved art and customizing things, and then uh, I remember specifically one day I was driving somewhere, I stopped to take a pee, and uh, it happened to be at the back fence of a motorcycle shop, and so while I was going, I looked over the fence and saw these motorcycles in different different levels of disrepair and uh, disassembly, and... 
I, my mind just started working and I decided that I needed to apply my artwork to motorcycles and <laughs> awesome. meld two, two areas of, my, of loves that I have together into one. Right. And I'd seen on your website where you've actually taken even some models and just totally flipped them on their lid and basically and yeah. is that do you start with like a a concept or do you just dive in or does it just depend? Do you do both? It depends. I do both. Um I I did that's actually where I started was with models. I wanted to do a few models before I actually tried doing an actual bike. Um just you know, conceptually wrapping my brain around the the, the yeah. idea of, of of changing that kind of radical change because I knew that I wasn't just going to like, you know, bolt on a few things and be done with it because um, <laughs> it's just not my style. Right. Um, so yeah, I started with models, but you know, I've, there's been all different levels. Um, I I rarely actually totally design a bike before I start building it I, I I mean as far as on paper or anything like that I don't use any computers for my designs or anything as well right so um, everything I'm a very old school analog hands-on kind of a designer and builder exactly yeah I noticed online that you do what I do you use CAD which is cardboard aided design right uh, yeah so exactly. I do the same thing uh, <clears throat> off air we were talking a little bit about box hoarding and i definitely do that because cardboard is my friend <laughs> cardboard is my uh, at least top three uh materials that i use for all things i i absolutely love cardboard i always keep a ton of it on hand and cardboard and glue guns yeah those are those are my champs yeah use it to mock up and just any, yeah it's, it's absolutely <laughs> awesome i put a this is sort of a joke question, but uh, what made you decide to deconstruct the hours and hours of R&D that all these engineers at the factory put into their bikes? What made you want to go in and say, hey, I'm just going to undo all of this and, you know? <laughs> well, uh, because just as as an artist and designer i just have to i have to yeah. put my own touches on things <laughs> and and also i feel like um as as much strides and um leaps that motorcycles have made design wise in the last 10 years say uh, i still feel like it's an extremely conservative market and industry yeah um i would say outside of ducati and maybe bmw that that there really is very little uh, stepping outside of the box or taking of many chances design wise yeah and so my whole my whole mission statement with motorcycles from the get go was to challenge what is motorcycle right what is the aesthetics what is what are the ergonomics how is this supposed to function how are we supposed to interact with this machine and so that's been a big part of it for me is just challenging that and also not being able, anything that I build, not being able to classify it into a existing category of motorcycle. Exactly. And if you've seen uh, some of Mark's bikes, and I will definitely post some up uh, on the show page, yes, you will have a very hard time uh, probably even recognizing what they initially were. And uh, I think that's brilliant, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, so... That explains. I mean, I'm sure the factory engineers are just crying when they. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. They can cry. <laughs> right. Where did that fairing go? Uh, we spent hours in the wind tunnel on that. So, 
uh, I first met you at IMS, as I said, in 2010, and mm-hmm. I, I know I saw your. Uh, I was checking the Deus Biker Build Off, I believe it was called last summer, and I saw your name on there, and I thought, oh, there you are again. Mm-hmm. Um, do you <clears throat> exhibit in a lot of shows, or is it just you know when you happen? Do they you know just align, and you just happen to be having something to show at, at you know at these, or do you actually like seek out? Shows to show yourself. I, I do. I seek out the right kind of shows. I mean, there's a lot of shows. You know, most shows are very chopper based and Harley based and stuff like that. Um, so, they're they're it's very limited. You know, the 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 number of and type of shows that that I can actually feel like it's worth my time to do. So, um, so yeah, I seek out specific and the right kind of shows. But yeah, I that's one thing that. Um Recently, I, I would agree with you about the nobody's taking chances. Uh, BMW has come out with some slightly ugly, but actually thinking outside of the box designs mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're you hit that nail on the head. Uh, if you look at a lot of the bikes like Suzuki and Kawasaki, they say all new, all new, but you really can't tell. If you look at five years, they change the headlight or something. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's really hard to see. Uh, where they're getting these all new designs they're not really Mm -hmm. you know and as far as um this new sort of you know it is right now street trackers are huge and cafe racers are getting big or we're big and and they're kind of um, waning right now but it's funny to see a lot of chopper stuff coming back in i mean you know you're right a lot of stuff is kind of going back to conventional rather than right going in the other direction right kind of full and, circle right right and the stuff <clears throat> that i see of yours is just uh I, I could see it started to kind of come in and then all of a sudden your idea took off mm-hmm. in a way that like the other industry i don't know if it's not cool or you know a lot of it is based on image right now i think right and uh a lot of the builds that are happening right now is based on like like you said, a lot of chopper, how cool it was back, you know, people are starting mm-hmm. to reminisce a little bit. And I think, um, I don't know when you see something that's off the wall, it stands out. And that's definitely why your bike, uh, the Soma or is mm-hmm. it Soma? Soma. Soma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That really stood out. And even the super spin, super, super spinner, yeah. super spinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that it's thing. Austrian word. Okay. <laughs> you mean spider. Super spider. Oh, right, right. Okay. Spinner is spider in Austrian. Okay. That, that's uh, why I saw it Spider-Man in the magazine then. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that thing <clears throat> just took a, a modern sp- sport bike and just like blew it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And But still retained the like essence, the sporty essence of it. You know what I mean? It's sure. not like you're taking bikes and putting them so low on the ground like some of these choppers that they can't even drive anymore. Right. Or, so yeah, it's it's really interesting to see why more people haven't kind of They've, they're going back to the old school rather than like right. going forward. And that's something about your work that um, really struck me is that it reminds me of stuff I used to see in uh, like Robotech when I was a kid. Nice. And, yeah. uh, you know, all of that stuff that was looking toward this is what the future is going to be like. Right. Yeah. And so it's just so funny to me that now that that generation like right behind mine is going backwards rather mm-hmm. than you know right, looking right. to the future so yeah it's just really weird to think about um 
you know, where, where the, where it's going to be, is it going to come back to, you know, are you going to, are you actually, that's a good question for you. Are you going to stay engaged in the scene and like keep doing what you're doing and, um, well, I'm I'm kind of focusing on tattoos at this point in my life, and that's kind of um, taking most of my focus. Um, and also, like, the Soma actually was purchased by uh, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. Right. So that's where she lives now. Nice. So ultimately, like, like if you were to have asked me if you could put this bike on display anywhere in the world, I, that would have been my first choice. So it's kind of like I've, I feel like I've kind of peaked <laughs> on the bike thing and right. i'm like I, I, okay i've i've done this so um not to say that i'm not going to continue building bikes right. uh but it will be much more selectively and um probably it'd have to be more commissioned stuff i guess and you know something like that would be more requested stuff but right it could happen we'll see. <laughs> yeah <clears throat> and uh definitely obviously looking at these bikes even looking at some of the paint jobs that some of your old bikes had, it's very obvious that you're a, a brilliant uh, visual artist. Um, do you do that on the side as well? I mean, basically, you said you went to the, you know, you were doing some, um, as a family trade, doing uh, architecture and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, did that kind of trickle over into the visual arts at all? Or is that just... I mean, the visual arts is... That's the core of it. I mean, everything is based on the visual arts that you know that I have not only inherently have gotten from genetics, I guess, but uh, from what I have honed in my life and and become and you know s- strive to to be. It's kind of like if you want to be a master musician, you learn the piano first, and like that's kind of the the crux of it. Is you know you know the piano, you might be able to play sixty instruments, but you really like learn the piano. That's like kind of the right. the core. So um, so so just art in general, just painting and drawing and stuff. That is the core of everything. Whether it's building motorcycles, doing tattoos, doing interior design, whatever it is, that is at the core. And and I I very much do a lot of that. I do a lot of drawing and a lot of painting and sculpting and all that kind of stuff. Traditional artwork stuff. Um, even, you know, very traditional stuff like, you know, figure drawing and stuff like that. And it just, you know, the, the basic, uh, principle art. Right. Yeah. Was, one of the questions was a formal training, but, um, I think that's less important than like where you've, where you've ended up actually from, sure. from all that, because mm-hmm. like you said, learning to play the piano, uh, it's kind of like going to an art school. You, you learn the rudimentary stuff there, but where you end up is is basically you know what what in the end matters. Right. So, uh, do you have a style, or or is there something that defines you as a in in all of your art that is like a rough? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a motif, but a um, you know a basic theme. Um. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, I do have a style that is fairly specific that I is you'll see in like paint jobs, paintings, uh, tattoos, things like that that I call madness, which is like just the crazy shit that happens in my head. Oh, cussing's okay for the oh, yeah, podcast. No. Okay, fuck. Yeah, it's fucking great. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, um, I mean that I guess has has kind of a unique aesthetic to my work, but um, but I mean, I, like I said, I, I work in. I mean, I could show you examples of every different type of thing and everything that I've done, and uh, you know. Yeah, so and it, it, you know. that's the thing too is that it's amazing when I when I look at all the art on your website. I mean, you've done sculpture, you've done some really technical, obviously like architecture type stuff. Mm-hmm. You've done um, just some, you know, paintings, <clears throat> drawings, and your sketches. I have to say, some of your like rough sketches looks like stuff that takes me about four days <laughs> to sit down and draw. <laughs> and I'm just looking at it, going, I-, I can tell, I can tell, I probably could look at, um, you know, just probably one of every piece of medium that you would have. And I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Cause I think I might be able to say, Hey, look, I think that's a, you know, a Mark Dugali piece. <laughs> Dugali. Damn it. That's a Mark Dugali piece. Mm-hmm. How come I can't say your last name? Dugali. It's so damn easy. Dugali. <laughs> Dugali. Mark Dugali piece. Mm-hmm. Jeez. So yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I, I think that's what I, what caught my eye initially, uh, obviously was meeting you at IMS and seeing the bike. But then like when I went to your website, I thought, Oh my God, I have to look at, I I couldn't just click on the bike. I saw art. I had to Mm -hmm. look at it all. And then, uh, I've checked it, um, over the years, you know, and saw more. So Mm -hmm. of course I couldn't just, you know, I had to keep looking and looking and, and yeah, there's Mm -hmm. like, there were at one point you had some, interior spaces that you had designed and mm-hmm. i mean just looking at those i thought man i want like it, this is the bedroom that i've always wanted to have it was just this weird organic you know it was all it was uh, it, it was very organic which i would say describes a lot of your stuff but yeah at the same time sure. super technical i mean it, it's just it's such a weird melding of the two things you know what mm-hmm. i mean so um so it doesn't really surprise me that you can take this something like a motorcycle or even a piece of furniture that's been designed down to the T and you can just yeah take it apart and put it how you you know kind of bend it to your will right that's that's how my mind works i right. i'm constantly deconstructing everything i've i've deconstructed your recording device here and <laughs> right. completely redesigned it and it's a totally different thing in my head <laughs> right. So. right uh so how getting off totally off tangent for a second how do you interact with the everyday world is it is it hard or is it easy or is it interesting i mean is it just a uh it's typically fairly uninteresting uh-huh. um but my head is always doing interesting things so it's kind of like um i would say about 80 percent internal and 20 percent interacting with the rest of what's going on around right um but it, it can be difficult. Um, I am a I am surprisingly a very social person, but um, yeah, it can be difficult. I I, I am easily distracted, and <laughs> um, I don't you know it's, it's hard for me to to retain any kind of level of interest in things that aren't really really interesting. Right. Okay. So you know uh, things like Burning Man and places like that are, are one of the only places that like really stimulate my brain there isn't very many environments that really stimulate me right. outside of my own head right and that's got to be because there's something <clears throat> you can't look 
somewhere without something going on in a place like that, right? Right. I mean, there's and, something interesting. Going. And the level of creativity and and uh, and just you know thought and um, art is, yeah. is immense and it's everywhere. Yeah, you know, I never I never realized that until I had seen some some video of how much like time and forethought people actually put into going out there and designing something to take out there, whether it was like a crazy musical instrument they were going to build or cause you're looking at these structures that people build and mm -hmm. they're just these huge interactive structures. And it's not like they went out there and threw a couple mm -mm. Uh, sticks together and Hey, look at this. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I, I really started to appreciate the stuff that, um, I don't know what reputation Burning Man has with like most people, but for me, I did start to look at it and just appreciate that this isn't just something that people um, kind of go to without thinking about it and without. I mean, right. probably takes years to do some of this stuff. It you does, know what yeah. I mean? So, um, so how did you evolve from? you know, design school into like being able to sculpt something out of, you know, just weird stuff that you find around. Like, did, did you just try everything that you do now? Did you just try it once or? Yeah, basically I had the, uh, the rare and amazing circumstance of having a, uh, parents that were very, encouraging of my artistic endeavors uh i mean my father's an artist he's more of an architect i guess but um you know anything that i ever became interested in artistically it was always like oh okay well then let's go get some of that and play with it and so it was always just a matter of experimenting with different things and i would learn about a new thing and just you know just start playing with it and doing it um and that's still how i work you know right i i, I learned about a new uh material or whatever I mean, nowadays it's like I can. There, there's very, very little um, technical things that surprise me anymore as far as mediums and stuff because I've I've tried so many things and I know how materials work and react to each right. other and everything. And um, you know, I've I've just I've spent my entire life. I'm 40 now. I've spent my entire life just honing these kind of skills and and these kind of things and. Um, continue to educate myself and, you know, right. just, I have, it's going to take something like, you know, a new way of doing something like with lasers or something that they're developing now to really, uh, <laughs> get you interested in like a new yeah. way of doing well, and, something. And even that being said, I, I don't, I really am not a computer person. I don't, right. I don't use CAD. I don't even know how to, I, I don't know yeah. how to use CAD, wow. like real CAD, not cardboard. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to use CAD, um, and I'm technologically not that savvy, um, and I've, you know, there was a point where I really delved in and tried to learn these things and tried to, um, assimilate and, and have these things, because, you know, that's an industry standard now, I mean, you yeah. can't even, like, apply for a job anywhere without having CAD skills of yeah. any kind of design thing, but, um, I just... I, I took a CAD class and about three quarters of the way through it, I, I just bailed on it because I was just, you know, I was doing really well. I was, I was moving faster than anyone in the class and, uh, I was, you know, doing well, but I basically came to the conclusion that if this is the way that I need to do my job, if that's, that's how I need to do it, then I don't want to do it anymore. Right. And I just, it, it feels very counterintuitive to my brain and my process and, 
so I've pretty much rejected it for myself. I, I have no, I understand why the industry uses it and everything. I, I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not anti, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, <laughs> what's it called? Autodesk and trying to firebomb their headquarters. Right. Or anything. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, it's just not for me. It's just, it's yeah. just not how my brain works. And, and, well, I, no. you know, yeah, and you know, maybe that's the quality that I see in all of your work. Maybe that's why, I, to me, it it's so appealing and it seems so organic, even though it's technical, is because it literally is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're putting all this technical stuff via these organic interface, so to speak. Right. And um, But yeah, you know what? Fuck it. If it's not your cup of tea, it's not your cup of tea. Exactly. And, uh, and yeah, I, I actually know a lot of people... Um, a lot of designers, a lot of engineers, and a lot of builders that still whip out the old slide rule, mm-hmm. still get out the piece of paper and write stuff down because you know there is more than one way to yeah. get the job done when it comes down to. It. And if you're that, if you need that interaction to complete the task, then yeah, what's wrong with that? You know, and I actually kind of appreciate that. And just uh, from my own level of uh, interest and satisfaction with my with my work, um, if I don't have you know graphite or grease or paint or some something on my hands by the time I'm done creating something, I feel totally unsatisfied. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how great the end result was. I I don't feel satisfied unless that has right. occurred. It kind of sounds like that CAD class touching on something <clears throat> you said earlier. Just showed you that there that was the where the wall is between like being stimulated and then being immersed in this world where everything is like n- numbers and the same you know the same right. and same over and over and over repeating right. pattern so um so i don't know when the last time you you built a bike was but um how often do you get to create things that you love Maybe it's a motorcycle. Maybe it's you know. Right now, it sounds like you're doing tattoos uh, as your. Like right now, that's just your outlet. But my primary focus, yeah, yeah. But as far as um, you know, getting in there, getting your hands dirty, trying something you haven't tried in a long time. Do you still do that on a regular basis? Yeah, uh, almost daily. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Jeez, and you're still engaged in like the. Are you? Well, basically, are you still engaged in any scenes or any um, forums where you used to do a lot of stuff that you, you know, I've got a, I've gotten out of a lot of stuff that I used to participate in, and it's kind mm-hmm. of a bummer, but at the same time, it allows me to focus on other stuff, but it's kind of sad that I've still missed that side of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, are you still active in, maybe it's like doing murals or maybe, it, you know doing a sculpture here and there do you are you still like actively doing stuff that you've been doing all along yeah i mean there's there's certain things that i haven't touched in a long time but i still have the stuff to do it and i will you know i i do make it a point to go back to things that i haven't you know gone to or or done in in a while and and do those things and you know get my chops back on it um but uh yeah i mean i i'm always i'm always creating i'm always making something uh you know i'm i i i'm much more prone to make things to go away now i don't want like you know i've become much more minimal in my life 
And so um, a lot of times what I will do is I will, you know, I often make gifts for my friends and family and stuff as, you know, whatever, just presents or birthday presents or whatever it is. And so then that gives me an opportunity to like a lot of times work in something I haven't made in a while or whatever. I have a, you know, I come up with an idea for something that I want to make for that person and it's, you know, maybe a material or a method that I haven't tried in a long time and I'll do it. Nice. And then you don't have to hang on to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can take a nice digital photo and store it in my computer. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, otherwise it'd be like when you're 70, that old guy that just has all these crazy things <laughs> around right. his yard. Um, so for you, is art and design, is it a job? Is it a passion? Or have you, to be cliche, really found a way to do what you love you know they all say if you do what you love you never work a day in your life I'm, all that. I'm in the cliche <laughs> I'm, I'm living the cliche yeah I, I can definitely attest to the fact that you <clears throat> may be living a cliche but you're you're living it definitely outside of the cliche box I mean, this, <laughs> thank you this uh, I just love sitting in here I just you can just look anywhere and just see you know analyze something for 10 minutes and then look somewhere else and oh my god you know there's this a rug over here that looks like it's gonna uh like it's a breaking wave and then you look at it again and it looks like a bunch of shrimp or something or a bunch of cables it's, it's awesome um so getting kind of getting back to motorcycles uh is there places that you like to travel Yes, I mean I. I mean you know, the wheels is the destination. You know, the the ride is the destination. But um, I actually um, I'm I'm working on like a dual residency kind of thing for like San Francisco or Oakland right now. Cool. So um, so I ride up there um, now like about once a month for oh, wow. a week or so. It's a good trip. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I try to take the coast as often as possible. Sometimes I just take the 101, but never the 5. <laughs> I don't understand motorcycles on a straight road. It right. I don't, I don't get it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I just ride all the time. I have, you know, I have, right now I have a Suzuki DL650, and it's just a nice, comfortable oh, yeah. bike, and I have boxes for it and everything. And I also travel with my tattoo equipment. So Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I just... I just like to ride wherever and just uh, enjoy life on the bike. Yeah, is it inspiring? Uh, do you get some sort of inspiration, whether it's either visual or just sensual, about you know using that form of transportation rather than just you know flying up there or something? Well, for me, it's actually one of the few uh, realms that. I can quiet my mind that my right, mind okay. doesn't have to work so hard on right. being so active and creative. Like it's a very Zen place for me. Right. You just, you have to focus on <clears throat> writing so you can't, yeah. Can't well, I, I don't, crazy. I don't focus on hardly anything really. It's what right. it is. It's just a matter of a like piece. being free and just enjoying the scenery and right. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have to focus on writing. <laughs> right. I mean, you I, I was riding uh, home from San Diego yesterday, and I was riding in rain and hail right. and heavy winds, and I had a nail in my back tire, so I had oh, to stop and top shit. up my air a few times on the way home. So yes, yeah, it you was, had stuff on your mind, but yeah, <laughs> that was that was definitely not your standard, uh, you know, just casual ride. But 
Um, but you know, we have to have these kind of rides to let yourself know you're alive. Still. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I was just in San Diego too this weekend. How funny. Oh, yeah. So, <clears throat> out of all the places you've been, uh, what's your favorite? I'm going to ask this as a two-parter. What's your favorite and what's your least favorite? Uh, in the world, you mean? Like, sure. visited? Sure. Uh, my favorite is, uh, well, Italy. Okay. Italy is my my favorite. I mean, I would I would move to Italy. Like there's I've been to a lot of places and I like them all for some reason or another, but uh Italy's one of the few places that I've been to where I would I feel like I could pick up and move there at least for some portion of my life. So, um my least favorite um I am going to have to say whew, I don't know. I mean, I, I've I loved every place that I went to for some reason or another. I would say that the Philippines was definitely the most tumultuous and scary place that I've ever been. <laughs> I went during the reign of Marcos. But, oh wow! Um, oh yeah, that was that was tragic and terrifying. A freaky time. I thought you were going to say, like, Riverside or something like that. Well, Riverside's pretty bad, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to say that, um, uh, what's that other place past, um, oh, man. Anyhow, whatever. Yeah. And the, and, and the reasons being, uh, why Italy? Is it because of the art Ev- there, or the history? Everything. Yeah. The people, the food, the right. art, the attitude, the weather, the environments, the... Right. I mean, there there isn't anything that I dislike about Italy. Nice. And then we don't need to ask about your least favorite. <laughs> mm-hmm. So any place you want to go back to, uh, or that you, any place you haven't gone yet then, because it sounds like Italy would be the place you'd want to go back to. Uh, yeah, uh, New Zealand is, is on my hot list for places to go. In fact, I want to do a motorcycle tour across New oh, Zealand yeah. is ultimately what I'd like to do. Like, I've heard they feed you lots of Vegemite there. <laughs> well, that's okay. It's good for you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Edelweiss has a really awesome tour that, you know, is, of course, quite expensive, but would be would be a great, uh, great place to, great thing to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, nothing like, you know, there's a reason I think Peter Jackson shot his movies over there, and I don't think it was because of the location. I think it's because he wanted to spend some time. Yeah, probably. Time He's like, this looks great. Yeah. yeah let's do this. I can hang here for a little bit. Uh, so, any weird collections? I put baseball cards, shrunken heads, old architectural <laughs> relics, but... <laughs> um, bird nests. Bird nests, okay. Yeah. Any particular kind or just any kind that you encounter? Um, I mean, I'm pretty particular about them, but, um, I have a few that are very interesting. I have one that is literally made entirely out of horse hair. Oh, no kidding. Um, He lived on a horse ranch, I'm assuming? I, I don't know, honestly. Um, hummingbird nests are some of the most interesting in the world. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, just, I like, I really love seeing the materials that they that they use. I mean, they're they are the ultimate architects, right. as far as I'm concerned. So, <clears throat> I re- do you see it as a reflection of you? Like, if you find something, you can put it to use somehow. I, I do feel very relatable yeah. to to the bird nest <laughs> mentality for sure. Um, yeah. In and its usage of recycled materials and just <laughs> you know its uh, innovation in how it 
attaches to whatever it is going right. to attach to. And Hell, they could. They <clears throat> are like I never thought of it that way, but they are like the ultimate uh, reusers, and yeah, they really do have to figure out how to do this. They're the they're they're the original green architects. Yeah, yeah, they are. And yeah, by my daughter's uh, dentist, there's these bird nests stuck on this wall, stucco wall. They look yeah. like mud nests or something. That's yeah. they are. They're okay. uh, they're mud wrens, oh, okay. and they actually. They eat dirt and they create mud and then they vomit it back up into these bird nests. Yeah. I'm gonna try making my next house like that. You should. I, it's gonna be really hard on your digestive system, but you'll figure it out. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll try. And then, uh, so aside from bird nests, anything? Uh, shoot, anything else? Any interesting stuff? When people come in, they freak out. Like you know, I saw a brain hanging in your garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's fake, but oh, okay. Uh, um, I mean, my whole existence, I don't know, um, I've, I've, I've just always, collect, I mean, I, I, I do collect some, like, beetles and insects and stuff like that as cool. well, but, um, I don't know, I mean, just weird stuff, I've always just yeah. really loved weird stuff. And the more weird stuff, the better, in my opinion. My whole, before, uh, before I had to use it to store my random useless stuff. My garage looked like uh, Sanford and Son. I just had, you know, like just weird, whatever interested me that looked yeah. interesting, I'd pick it up and I'm going to use this someday. And right. that, that day never came, but right. uh, <laughs> it was still kind of cool to look at it and go, yeah, yeah. You can, you, if it's inspiring, I would keep it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then as far as your artwork that you do, uh, have you done anything for Burning Man? Yes. Okay. What? You, what was? That? Uh, well, the the Blemmy that oh okay. crazy scooter that was actually built for Burning Man. Okay. And then um, was it built to get around it or just? Uh, yeah, mean, that was, was my transportation. Purpose. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I have well, I, actually, so I've only been going to Burning Man for four years, okay. but. Uh, 11 years ago, a friend of mine who's a photographer who um, has been going for 16 years or something like that, he hired me to um, to design and build a device, for lack of a better terminology, for Burning Man. <laughs> okay. And uh, since then, an entire camp has been built around this device and this thing. And so now it's a camp of 75 people. Oh, wow. And does so, it stay out there? Or does it... Yeah, it stays oh, okay. out there. And um, so when I went four years ago, I walked into my camp uh, built around right, right. my device. <laughs> and everyone was like, what the fuck took you so long? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? Where, why haven't you been here? I'm yeah. like, well, I just haven't. This is yeah. when I came. It's like building a house that you never move into right. for a few years. That's right. great. So, and then since then, um, I've built uh, an experimental drum set that had a trailer hitch that I pulled around on my bicycle. Uh, no and then I also played drums and percussion. Right, okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> and then I built a an art car for my camp. And then... After, you know, it was a little bit, it was a little simple because I funded the whole thing myself for the first year that it went out. And then for this last year, um, everyone was so excited about it the first year that they all dumped a bunch of camp fees into it. So then I went, I came back and retrofitted it and made it much more 
bitchin' version of it. Nice for the camp. More per- is it permanent? Like more. Yeah, I think okay. you know, amazing lighting and you know, just just oh, a, okay. a much much more complex wow. uh, character, if you will, because it's, it's a uh, it's called the Recyclops. Okay. And I love so it's that. like it's a one-eyed monster made out of all recycled materials <laughs> and clothing and milk jugs and all sorts of stuff. Nice. Yeah, so. I've always that's one thing that I as of late uh have really enjoyed watching other countries start to build stuff out of junk basically. Mm-hmm. And uh there's some earth ships over in New Mexico that I'd love to check out that mm-hmm. are all recycled stuff, you know. And they they uh they don't look like mud mounds or something. So I think right. people that would, oh, you live in a, you know, we could really look at those and say, oh, I could actually live in this. So, yeah, yeah I think it's sure. a cool trend. I think it's, I hope it actually picks up and, um, you know, kind of takes off with this next generation, like reuse it, it, and recycle. I can tell you for 100% certain that it is and it will because what's happening is there's a legitimizing of materials now. Right. So rather than just like, well, we're making something out of milk bottles, what there is is there's companies that are actually making like structurally sound materials, right, building okay. materials out of milk bottles. Right, okay. And these kind of things. So they're, they're I mean, it's definitively happening. Like right. there's no, there's no questioning, yeah. you know, whether or not that is going to happen. It is, it is certainly happening. Right now. <laughs> I thought you were going to say because I'm from the future. And, I uh, <laughs> am from the future. Um, I'm not allowed to talk about it. Okay, but, I won't ask. <laughs> um, my name is Marty McFly. <laughs> I knew Mark <laughs> Dugali, Marty McFly. Yeah, they have too many yeah. letters in common not to be. You know, I mean, it's. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And that actually sounds like a, like a lot of fun. Uh, and. I don't know. That would keep me interested in just seeing what people are doing with the stuff that you've been interested in forever then. You know what I mean? Sure. Like that's that's awesome that that you've seen something like your camp mm-hmm. come from something that you did years ago to, you know, what people are enjoying today. That's right. pretty cool. Um, I have to ask you a really miscellaneous question. I'm good with that. How the hell did you get your hands on that super dig. <laughs> uh, well, I actually got it in San Diego. Okay. Um, saw uh, there was a um, there was a guy in the parking lot of that very IMS show where we met, uh-huh. and he had this super duke, and it was crashed. Oh, okay, and it's were, a Super Duke it was R, fairly new, right? They were fairly and, new then, and it's right? a Super Duke R, yeah. the racing version. So that's even, you know, and uh, so he had it in this truck, and my buddy who had a Super Duke um, asked him, you know, what he's doing with it or whatever, and he's like, well, I don't. Know. He he owns a dealership in uh, in San Diego, and they got to talking, and he's like, I'm kind of looking to sell it. It's a salvage title, um, and he was looking for six grand for it. No way. And wow. so my buddy took his number and he came in and was telling me about it. And because I've always been a fan of Super Duke. And so I called that guy that night and I was like, I'm at this show all weekend, but I'm going to come on Monday and take a look at it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I went down and picked it up. Because, <laughs> see, I saw that and I was like, they were, I forget what year they came out, but that was pretty new. I mean, that was. Yeah, I think it was like the second year right. that might have been the first year for the r's actually that's that's what i was thinking yeah. when i saw it and i thought 
Did, yeah. did he? Did they give this? To well, him? and the was, thing that was amazing about it was that there was no damage to it. Well, I mean, so almost gotta, no cosmetic damage right. to it. Um, what what it was was there was a full acro um, system on there that had gotten scratched, All right. and then there was just some light scuffs on stuff that I threw away anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I I like went to six, town six grand. Yeah, <laughs> here's a tip. You know, yeah. did that race up Pikes Peak too? Did I? It, see it that? did not. It, I um I actually was um. Originally slated to build that for when JT Racing was was coming back. The guys who bought the rights to JT Racing, they contacted me and they wanted to build a bike. And then I actually acquired this KTM. And um, so I was actually, I started that build as the JT Racing, uh, you know, flagship bike. Right. Was was initially how it started. And so I met with them a bunch of times and whatever. And then... Uh, they, their investors pulled out or something, and I don't know, whatever the story was, and they just basically had to bail on it, and so I went ahead and, you know, finished it, which I was kind of glad, because I, they were, like, wanting to kind of, like, have more of a design hand in it, and I wasn't really that excited about the stuff that they wanted to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was just, at that point, was kind of like, I'm just building their convoluted story (laughs) And so as soon as they bailed on it, I just went right back to my original vision yes. of it <laughs> and, uh, you know, built it and sold it. And I, I don't know, I wasn't allowed to know who bought it, but oh, wow. uh, it lives in New York. That's all I know. Oh, crazy. It was bought who? from a third party and oh, okay. they weren't allowed to tell me who oh, bought okay. it. So I, was gonna say, I assume weird. someone famous. I don't know. Oh, right. Right. And uh, they probably had, you know, signed some like... Middleman to the middleman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that, the the people who actually you know purchased it and took control of it, I asked them like, "Well, can I know who How bought funny. this?" And they're like, "No, we're not. We're under contract. We can't weird, tell. weird." The no, weird. I mean, I, I, I'm used to that because I'm not allowed to talk about my. I have a lot of uh, sports people and actors oh, and stuff okay. that I do homes for, and I'm not oh, allowed. Bro- to, I'm okay. not allowed to even t- say their name. Right, you know, right, so. right. If I start naming names, will you nod your head? No, just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One wink for yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I, I totally get it. I totally get yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you sign these contracts and, you know, you could, you, you want to lose your license in your life or yep. do you want to keep a secret? You know? <laughs> right. It's, uh, yeah. Unless the inquirer comes to you with like way more than you expect to make at your other job. Right. You just, exactly. Um, so do you still do a lot of architecture then too? Yeah. Have you tra- are you transitioning out of that into tattoos right now or? Uh, I mean, right now I'm doing equally as much of both. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, but yeah, it is. I would say that it is. It's, right now, it's probably my primary breadwinner. Yeah. Would be the interior architecture stuff. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I do. I do quite a bit of it. Still. What do you like better? I mean, is one more flexible than the other, and that's kind of why you want to. Um. I mean, I, I I like tattooing better, but um, you know, I I don't know. I like I like it all. I yeah, I I have a ridiculously blessed life in regards to <laughs> how I make my living. I know. I, mean, just I have in to general, say, but, um, I have to say that I you know, seeing all the stuff that you've done, yeah. I just if you even got paid for like a third of it, it would just be you know so <clears> awesome <throat> to yeah. have like done that and then hey yeah oh and you're gonna pay me for it all right yeah totally 
Uh, that's, that's how I, st- I and I, <laughs> even after all these years, I still feel that same way. I'm like, wow, you want to pay me for this? Oh, yeah. You do realize that I would do this for free, right? Like, <laughs> right. It's, it's a bad. I've learned not to say that to right. people, but yeah, that's what I want to say. Like, right. You do realize that I would totally just do yeah. this, right? Because I, I love doing. I already mock. I already do this at my house. Like, yeah, you know, on totally. paper. Uh, so, another crazy question: Do you like crappy biker movies? Um, do you like any crappy movies? <laughs> yes, I do. I love crappy movies. Yeah. Um, crappy biker movies specifically. You know, I've I've seen a few that They're I that I watch. enjoyed, but um, yeah, the, I I like portions of them. You know, I mean, it's yeah. hard to sit and like watch an entire movie, but it's great to like have on at a party and like stop and watch like a funny scene. And, yeah, oh you yeah. Know, like, you know, mock rape of some poor girl yeah. on the side of a hill and then smashing whiskey bottles. And, right, you know. right. Yeah, the portrayal of, like, what... Some of these actually have real bikers in them and the, the acting's horrible. I mean, yeah, what? Yeah. I, for usually, for the last few shows, for the last, like, five shows, <clears> I've <throat> done a review so that nobody in real life has to actually watch these things all the way through. Right, right. <laughs> and now I think it's affecting me. I need to, you know... Right. Why would anyone subject itself? But yeah, I, I love really, really crappy movies late at night uh, that used to come on at Showtime. And uh, my friend actually started collecting um, DVDs and VHSs of these things. And we would have parties, actually, mm. like Zardoz and all yeah. the, you know, just such crazy <laughs> Zardoz stuff. Zardoz is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So stuff like that, you know. And, and mm-hmm. eventually you just have them and you wonder why... Did I just watch that? And who the hell paid? Why did somebody pay to make that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm much more into the uh, the bad like sci-fi. Yeah, oh, yeah, like yeah. old terrible sci-fi than biker for sure. Yeah, the the biker movies are pretty horrible. Even for you know, even if you like bikes, that makes it yeah. even harder to watch. I think. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah. So when you do have free time, what do you spend it doing? Um. Well, I I like to be very physically active these days, so I do a lot of hiking and yoga and um karate. and just huh karate <laughs> any karate no I, I I do I have created kind of a hybrid kind of a thing that's like part yoga part tai chi right somewhat kickboxing kind of thing um, but. Not necessarily, and and just really uh, hanging out with my friends. You know, I have some pretty amazing friends. And, yeah. Um, um, yeah. No, that pro- <clears throat> probably comes along with all the like stuff that you've done. I could not imagine having done uh, being a part of all the shows and you know Burning Man and all that stuff, and not having like wrapped your hands around some just amazing people. Is there anything? we missed that you want to talk about hmm i i mean i don't i don't know i i just i can tell you that uh that i don't always have a choice to create it's not it's not something that i always choose to do um i think that's part of the i guess the dark side of my life and my abilities and my and my situation is that uh sometimes i have to create Hmm. and it's um 
you know, it's it's therapeutic in those times of needing to create, but uh, but it can also be tumultuous and not not the best thing. Right. You know, what I mean, there's with with talent comes demons, I guess. Right. And right. Um, you know, I I have to work those things out, and and people people just kind of assume that you know it's all just happy go lucky art all the time, and um, and there's a good amount of that. Yeah, Don't get yeah. me wrong. I'm not trying to uh, make myself out like some brooding, <laughs> right. uh, you know, goth kid, but uh, but yeah, it, it it can be it can be a little much sometimes, you know, and and just getting my my even when I'm not actually physically creating my my just my brain, the things that my brain does, and um, you know, the distractions and the and the uh, things that I need to work through in my head to not lose my mind or right. to... Uh, it has to come from somewhere, you know what I mean? Yeah, it does. And so, so yeah, I mean, there is there is uh, a dark side to it, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. Is that something that you put into... Uh, is it a hindrance? Is it something that you put into the work? Or is that how you, like, wash that out? Is that you have to go do something to get that out of your, you know, conscience at the moment? Yeah, it's more of a, of a need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we have spent some quality time, and I I feel like we've just scratched the tip of the iceberg of um, Mark Dugali. And if you want to check out uh, more of his stuff, I'm gonna take some pictures and uh, put it up on the show page. But um, Mark, is there anywhere we can find you if we uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with you? Yeah, dugallery.com. That's D-U-G-A-L-L-E-R-Y.com. And the same for Instagram, at dugallery. Excellent. Alrighty, and then uh, almost everyone has a tattoo. Hell, like every 90-year-old grandma I know has a tattoo nowadays. So are you? do you <clears throat> do it from a shop up here, or do you do it... Uh, are you taking I, I work, customers? I work here in my studio. Okay. And um, I do it by appointment. And okay. I also travel with my equipment. Cool. And um, I, I actually do a uh, kind of a unique thing with tattooing. I don't, I don't just like do, you don't just come to me and say, hey, I want a tattoo of a tiger mm-hmm. on my arm. Um, I actually have a, um, a process that I, I call it an inner portrait. And it's a questionnaire. It has 14 questions. They're deeply personal. And you fill out this questionnaire. I ask for a mix of music. I ask for a personal object to hold on to. And I ask to spend some time with you personally. That's awesome. And then I design a kit of parts of kind of abstract um, characters and objects based on the information that I receive. And then uh, it's a matter of designing, taking that kit of parts and applying it to the, the area of the body that it's going on in a cohesive manner. Nice. I would have to say that that is... Probably one of the most in-depth. Um, I, I'm going to call that like a ritual for getting a tattoo, uh, and I think that a lot of people, you know, that walk in for even something that maybe they thought of are sad five years later, yeah. <laughs> and they're looking at it. So I mean, that's that's awesome. I think almost every tattoo should be done at least half that detailed. You know what I mean? So that's great. So, all right. Well, thank you for spending time with me and. Uh, 
I look forward to uh, seeing you around. Yeah, thanks for interviewing me. Alrighty, thank you. So that was our interview with Mark Dugali. If you want to catch him, like he said, you can catch him at dugallery.com. I'll put links up in the show notes, but also check him out on Instagram. And I'm going to put a whole bunch of pictures up that he uh, gave me access to. I have to tell you, I mean, we just we literally did just scratch the surface of, of Mark. He's, he's quite a funny character. Uh, Mark, if you're listening, I give you your artsy-fartsy in CAD, my man. So <laughs> we had a really good time chatting before and after our interview, and uh, I really look forward to interviewing him again, um, keeping in touch with him and seeing what he's up to. I've already thought about calling him like four times this week because working on some stuff uh, for my bike, and I just uh, was wondering what sort of materials I could get my hands hands on. And if you look at some of his builds, you'll realize that, dude, the world is your stockpile. Like you can grab anything and put it on a motorcycle and he has. So I'm really excited to put some of those, uh, gra- uh images up there that he's uh, sharing with us. And I'm so grateful that he's, he's sharing it with me so I could share it with you. And if you're in the Bay area, I know there's a lot of listeners up there, uh, that listen to the show in the San Francisco area, uh, check him out, his tattoo process. If you look him up on Facebook, you can see, uh, some of the stuff that he's done. It's pretty amazing. I saw his questionnaire there and yeah it is a hell of a way to get a tattoo Uh, it's not your standard walk in and pick a piece of stupid flash or try to have your cousin who's an artist you know design something cool for you this is like legit uh emotional spiritual um personal everything you you want in a tattoo in a tattoo so check that out and if you're in the area feel free to to hit him up on any of the sources that he's provided and like i said lots of links in the show notes on our on our website creative-writing.com and check out him uh, on facebook too so don't be afraid to look this guy up and try to get in touch yourself if you're a writer or an artist or uh, catch him out at burning man i uh, would be super excited to go out there and just see what what he's done and like I said, there was a brain hanging in his garage. There was the coolest trike you've ever seen. Um, and literally like me, he he has all this stuff. Like I used to collect stuff like Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury had an office. And if he had writer's block, he would just look around. And his office was just look like clutter to some people or a museum to others. And Mark's house, to me, looks like a museum. Everywhere I looked, I was just engaged, if not visually, like mentally. Like, what is that? How does that work? Um, Unfortunately for me, I'm so dumb. I looked up, he's got like a a glass wall uh, up in his uh, a loft area of his house, and I could see this huge metal rack thing, and I asked him if it was a dehydrator, and he kind of chuckled a little bit, and I think he took some pity on me because he said, "No, that's a was his um, ex-wife's shoe rack, <laughs> but it was this big circular, you know, bunch of uh, metal racks. So to me, it just looked like this giant food dehydrator. Then again, I guess you'd have to have like a brontosaurus or an elk or something to uh, hydrate, you know, that much <laughs> meat or you know, gigantic fruit to put on there. So anyway, yeah, it was it was pretty funny and a fun interview and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely uh, keep in touch with Mark and, and see what he's got going on see how the tattooing's going and uh, see how he's moving along 
All right. Uh, now, before this episode gets way, way, way too long, let's do our crappy movie review of the week. Well, sadly, I did it again. I watched another crappy biker movie, this one from 2013. This one you would expect to be a little bit better than those movies from the 70s, but to be honest, it's not that much better. Um, There wasn't as much random, uh, candid scenes that just had to be used for, you know, part of the movie because that's all they had. Uh, Unfortunately, there was about 20 pages of script that didn't need to be in this movie that was left in instead. And... Whereas the movies from the 70s relied on the free spirit of the bikers, this one relies on the um, omniscient spirit of you-know-who. So, Revelation Road, it was... I don't know. I don't know. Within the first five minutes, I realized that they kept bringing up the topic of of God and forming a bridge between yourself and Jesus, and God could help you and whatnot. And I'm thinking Revelation Road. I thought they were kind of ripping off Fury Road, even though this movie was made well before that one came out. And then I thought, oh, Revelation Road. I get it. Like it's going to be like a post-apocalyptic movie here, and everyone's like talking about God and whatnot. And I, I really hung in there for a while. But no, this movie stars um, Ray Wise, who you may know from Twin Peaks, uh, Fire Walk With Me, as um, Laura, I forget her name in the movie, but uh, the, the, the daughter, you know, he, was, he played the father, the creepy father in that movie. It stars um, Eric and Eliza Roberts, who, of course, that's Julia Roberts' brother and sister-in-law. It... Uh, it also stars Steve Borden, who was Sting in the WWE or WWF, and it also stars Brian Bosworth. Um, now, the main character is none of these people. He's David A.R. White, and he, um, he's he been in Hollywood for 20 years, and if you look him up, you'll see a pattern here. He's in a lot of these like goofy made-for-TV horror movies and, and thriller movies and whatnot, And here toward the end of his filmography, I noticed a trend. It's almost like when you've been in Starship Troopers or any other uh, L. Ron Hubbard movie, all of a sudden you become a Scientologist. Well, I think after being in the last few Revelation Road movies, yes, there's three of them. Three times they made this fucking movie. Um, So I think after being in this movie uh, or around the, the producers of these films, he seems to be starring in a lot more movies that seem like they're religiously based now the big shocker here is that there's a guy named bruce marciano who is an la based minister and surprise surprise he plays him in the movie he plays the stranger as he's billed but uh, the girl says are you him and he just smiles there's a bunch of other people here who look like extras from sons of anarchy and if you look them up you will see that they were in fact extras in sons of anarchy so this movie is about a biker gang who the reason it tricked me into thinking it was like about an apocalypse is because they're dressed a little bit like Mad Max. So that had me fooled. But about five minutes in, they really start pumping the Jesus talk and the, uh, you know, God building the bridge between, you know, you and God through Jesus and this and that. And the, the, the main character, okay, first off, he is a wandering 
bulletproof vest salesman. And it's it's obviously filmed out here in California. There's lots of Joshua trees, and it looks like it might have been filmed halfway at Pappy and Harriet's, you know, or the Pioneer Town or something, but I don't think it was. Now, he ends up at Jack's Jerky and Cigarettes and Guns <laughs> store. And, uh, dude, you've got, you know, you got some slim pickings, bro. You're driving around the desert in an old shitty Nova selling bulletproof vests, and this is your one customer. Don't screw it up. But the biker gang comes in to steal some guns and this is their bad day because this this dude happens to be in there he takes out three of them and this is where you learn that he used to be some sort of special ops or cia guy so yeah that happened that really happened um i'm not going to go too far into this movie because it was a total hunk of shit but um if you're into christian biker movies and uh christian cia special ops movies you're probably going to like this and the fact that they made two more means that uh like sharknado people just don't know when to stop so basically um Brian Bosworth is the leader of the of the the biker gang. He's got this four foot long like war hammer that he finishes people off with. To make a long story short, the salesman guy, after killing the people, has to stick around uh, town for a few days. Amazingly, the sheriff uh, office has his records on file and doesn't see anything before he's do- he doesn't even exist before the past five years. And don't tell me how the local sheriff's out in Podunk Pooville gets his <laughs> record you know in like one minute after arriving on scene anyway they're very efficient they need to come work in LA and get rid of some of the backlog here so anyway make a long story short there's a gunfight that's terrible you have people off screen throwing mulch and uh, rock candy at the actors to simulate like wood uh from the door and and window in the house getting blown and and the glass breaking. But the guns that they're using sound like anti-aircraft. So, I mean, you would expect a lot more than just like some breaking little glass and fake bullet sound. Like the sound effects are terrible. So right as they catch these guys, uh, you know, homeboy, the hero is staying at a hotel since he's got to stick around town now, since he fucked a couple people up and he doesn't realize that there's people. It's funny. He's in this like super engaging talk with his wife and he doesn't realize like that the phone line has gone dead and like there's this huge light glowing out behind him because he's pouring his heart out to her for the first time ever that he's ever told anybody about his past secret life. It was so boring. I didn't even pay attention to the plot and Everybody outside is turning golden and disappearing, including the people that the bikers have gone to exact their revenge on, you know, the owner of the gun store for killing three of their brothers. They're just about to hit him with a war hammer, and these people turn gold and disappear. And apparently so does half the Earth, because you, it zooms out to this uh, CG shot of Earth from space, and half the globe turns like this bright color, and then all of a sudden it goes out into space. And one of the funniest parts is that the owner of the gun store is always black blabbing about God and then he's holding the Bible and he's just like looking at it like he loves it, you know, so much. And then he prays to God with his front door open and his wife's like, Oh, you know, you're praying again. And it's like, dude, you can't pray in the house with the door shut. He literally has to have the door open and look, be looking up to, you know, make sure God hears him. And apparently he did because he turned to a, a glowing ball. Uh, more, it looked more like a, um, Casey daylighter headlamp. And, uh, all these people just turned into these little glowing headlamps and shot up into space. So apparently God is a man because he referenced him, uh, to hit, 
to God as a him in the movie. And apparently he does live in space because that's where everybody flew off to. So yeah, the fact that they made two more of these just tells me that I may be in for some, uh, extremely powerful, some powerfully, powerfully, uh, strong liquor the next time I have to watch one of these. And, uh, whatever the star, did I say David White? I forget his, his name already, but um, A.R. White, he is in a movie called Murder Cycle from 1998, I believe. So I may be watching that one as well. I don't think that's going to be religiously based. So anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this crappy movie review. Don't bother watching them. I hope I don't bother watching them. But if I do, you'll be sure to hear it here. A um, couple things coming up before I end the show. I wanted to remind you that there's a few Hell on Wheels events coming up. The Stadium Steeplechase is coming up again. Round two at Glen Helen again on the Trophy Truck Track. That takes place on April 10th, so make sure you watch the uh, flat track at Circuit of the Americas on Fans Choice on the 9th, uh, and then head out to Glen Helen on the 10th for that. Um, there's also the Corsa Moto Classica is coming up, and that's going to be at Willow Springs uh, International Waste Raceway on April 22nd. Um, I think Ivy League is done for the year uh, as far as flat track events are concerned down here in San Diego. I think they might be doing something at the Arizona Bike Week. If you need your fix and you want to get some more hooligan action, the California Flat Track Association is going to be adding a hooligan uh, class to their races. And that's just one more testament to the grassroots, you know, uh, took a couple hipsters and a couple Harleys to make a whole new grassroots racing class that anybody can do now. Basically, um, I know a lot of the bigger bikes are doing it, but I think they do classes for smaller bikes too. Um, April 9th and 10th, um, if you can't watch flat track and then go to the Hell on Wheels Stadium steeplechase, the mods and rockers in Bakersfield, I want to shout out to this because the 59 Club up there is hosting. I believe this is their inaugural, yeah, right here, the inaugural Mods and Rockers um, Bakersfield Ride. And basically on uh, Saturday, there's going to be a Ride and Shine show. And then on Sunday, there's going to be a Quadrophenia screening. And so, um, you know, go check that out. They're going to do motorcycle drags and slow drags. going to have, you know, lots of games for people and bikes. And you can win a little bit of money. And, you know, it's not too bad of a place to go check out Bakersfield, man. They had their own uh, country sound back in the day so uh that's going on and what else there was one more thing happening um that i wanted to mention and i can't remember what it is but um i'll probably remember by next show and hopefully it hadn't happened yet so anyway have a good uh, night and let's get to our sorry list <clears throat> we here at creative writing would like to apologize to the following kawasaki yamaha Daytona Bike Week. Honda. We'd like to say sorry to Sammy Halbert. Jake Johnson. Ride in peace, Jethro Halbert. We'd like to apologize to Danny Eslick. Roland Sands. Fans Choice TV. Scotty Dubler and Chris Carr. We'd like to say sorry to the Isla Man TT and the SES TT Zero. We'd like to say sorry to the Mugen Shinden and John McGinnis. We'd like to say sorry to AMA Pro Racing, BN Sports, MotoGP, and the World Superbike Series. We'd also like to say sorry to the Africa Twin Sport Concept, the Tokyo Motorcycle Show, all the bikes we mentioned that may be showing up at the Tokyo Motorcycle Show, 
and Tokyoder, who is not Tokyo or Motor. We'd like to say sorry to the Dakar Rally. We'd like to say sorry to Chile and Argentina. I'd like to say sorry to Africa, Civil Wars, Hat Tricks, Kilos and Pounds. Like to say sorry most of all to Mark Dugley. Thank you for providing us with the wonderful episode. We'll touch base with you in a little bit. The Baja 1000 and sorry to Mexico in general. Please don't listen any further or you're completely insane. View time. I get <laughs> this frog going. Just this year I've I think I've developed a horse's head? Oh yeah. Dude peanuts every time I eat one. I blipped the throttle. I have these, like, spiced peanuts. You know what's funny about your bird nest? I actually put bird watching. Just kidding. Well, this, I, this is about you. And it's totally, you know, I, I get it. Because those parts are obsolete now. And, you know, who who wants to fuck around with that shit? In a time where I see a whole bunch of pictures. Keep your hair in the spring air, everybody. Peace out.